And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, covering the week of media, marketing, and digital content news. This old marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, my friends. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to a special B2B marketing and B2B content marketing episode number 349 of This Old Marketing. It's a whole lot of marketing for November 11th, 2022. And with me, as always on this show, my good friend, my colleague, and the guy who puts the number two in B2B, Mr. Joe Oh, my God. I I couldn't resist. I can't believe you just (laughs) said I couldn't resist. <laughs> Who does number two work Who for? Who does number two work for? <laughs> and plus, we just uh, had an off the... That's an Austin Powers yeah, joke, yeah. you guys. Wow, so. we just had an off-the-record conversation, too, where it would bring a whole new yeah. meeting to number two, but we're not going to go there. That's right. How are you doing, sir? Yeah. And you excited I'm... about our little special gathering we are talking about? B2B just doesn't get enough love. We've, we've found No, it. it doesn't. It You know, the funny thing is... We hear it all the time at Content Marketing World. Uh, we hear it. I hear it. Um, you know. And the funny thing is, I I don't know whether it's just because I live so much B two B marketing and content marketing, especially whenever I hear somebody go, you know, all the all the examples I ever hear of content marketing are all B two C. They're all consumer companies, you know, like Kraft or Disney or Red Bull or you know, those kinds of examples. And I never hear B2B examples. I'm like, ah, that's like all I seem to talk about is B2B examples. And in fact, I'm always looking for B2C examples. So, but I'm sure that's recency bias on my part, just because I, I do so much work in B2B. So I don't doubt their findings sure. uh, and their experience. But yeah, I, I'm really excited to actually talk about it. Um, what, tell the audience why why we decided yeah to do this. we i i had coffee with uh, one of our listeners todd and uh the first thing which we don't do very no, often by the well, way todd and this i is- are both in cleveland <laughs> so hey todd yeah thank you so much we had a great yeah. time chatting and the first thing he said is are, are you ever going to talk about b2b content marketing and i said and i we do i mean everything we talk about sort of and, and and it's interesting because Todd really said we talk more about macro content issues like the Twitter Facebook that's Netflix, true and we do absolutely yeah we do. no doubt we've we've pivoted we have pivoted in the last three years more toward you know and that's we we pivoted the tagline as well we talk about media more than we do anything else because it's uh, frankly just easier to talk about that we don't have to prepare as much that's <laughs> I'm just kidding yeah yeah, uh, sort of not. Uh, so anyways, Todd and I were chatting and I said, you know what? That's a great idea. Whenever we get the chance to do a special episode, I'll talk to Robert and I'm sure he would love to do a special episode on B2B content marketing or B2B marketing, as you said in the intro. And so we're going to yeah. we're going to do a 30 minutes or so on what you and I think are the keys to effective B2B content marketing right now. <laughs> and uh, I've never been, been so enthralled to have a conversation with you before. I see. This is very exciting. You're right. Most of your examples are B2B. When I do presentations, I split 50-50. I try to do 50% yeah. B2C and 50% B2B. Just keep everybody yeah. all in the and family, I, you know? I try to do that as well, but it's, it's often... 
I would say it's more often than not that I'm doing a talk or a keynote at a B2B or agency oriented uh, experience, you know, some event. And so I'm trying to match my case studies to whoever I'm actually speaking with so that it's, well, that's you know, very smart. Completely. Yeah. Yeah, so completely. Well, it's it's it, they ask. I mean, they, it's not like I I've, I've offered it up. They they say, "Would you please make all the examples relevant to our industry?" And what I often push back a little bit with is I'll say, "Well, I'm going to bring a few that are outside your industry because I want you to also have the perspective of what other industries are doing that you could copy to actually differentiate yourself in your industry." So, there is some value to seeing things outside your own your own industry, of course, but <clears throat> You know, because the, the the concepts do apply, but I did want to touch briefly on the idea when I opened up and said B two B content marketing and B two B marketing. Because as we get into some of these six things that we'll talk about, one of them is how these things are becoming merging. They they are they are becoming uh, much more aligned and and part of one strategy rather than something separate. So we'll talk a little more about it's that. So it's sort of it's I either like the included it's it. either like the Ethereum merge. Or the merge from the movie Dark Crystal. I, it's one of those two. And, and wow. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that's where my head's at. Right there. Really, Dark Crystal. Right you went to you, Dark went to Crystal. you went to Dark Crystal. Dark Crystal is yeah. one of my favorite movies of all time. It's a good movie. I, it's a really good movie. Uh, what's the what is? It's a very geeky. What do they movie. call it? It's the, one of those movies. That, is it the happening? The merge? What is it called? The it's, I can't think of it. Every there's. A thousand people out there knowing exactly what that's called, but whenever the two, the Skeksis and the other ones merge together, it's a thing. It's the awakening. It's the oh no, that's a Robert De Niro movie. Oh, I can't. Okay, whatever. I can't do that. That's it. That's all I got. Anyways, this is a really good thing. I think we should start. Okay, I think we should start yeah, the podcast. I was just gonna let you like sort of walk out. I was out working of there it through and... my brain, and it's not working well. Today. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. All right. Well, it's it's a it's a great movie, The Dark Crystal. Dark Every time it comes on, my my wife goes, "Really, you're watching a movie with puppets?" And I'm like, first of all, they're Muppets. They're not puppets." But second, <laughs> you're of the all, one yes. that does that. You're the one that corrects. Yeah. Puppets. That's right. You offended me. They're not puppets. Yes, they're not puppets. They are Muppets. Uh, so um, why don't I kick this off, and then I'd love to get your yeah. take on on a few things. So you and I are going to talk about six or seven things. That we think the great conjunction, by oh, the way. Oh, thank you. you. Oh, that's what thank you, were looking you so for, yeah. much. It was hurting yeah, that I didn't know the answer yeah. to that, and I was not going to clickety clack on my keyboard. So, yeah. uh, so yes, I wanted to give you a take. Um, you and I were kicking the idea back and forth, talk about these six, seven things, whatever the case is. But I wanted to to give you um, an idea of why I started this in the first place, because a lot of these things come from the idea that I think that a marketing a traditional marketing strategy or traditional content strategy is just not enough i think that now is the time to really start making some significant changes in the program and a lot of the reason i think that's the case is because we don't have as much time as marketers as we think we do so if you look at some of the research the average person stays in a job about four years or so today if you look at the average marketing role, like mid-level marketing role, that's about three years. And if you look at the chief marketing officer, you and I have talked this many times about this many times on this podcast, is about 24 months, two years. 
So if you think that we just don't have a lot of time when it comes to that, but we're talking about a long-term content marketing program that often takes years to really get going, to grow roots, to really start seeing significant change with your customers and prospects, I'm almost thinking like we have to treat it um, without, without the patience that we need and we have to start making these decisions uh, and taking some risks that we normally wouldn't take because of this time issue. I don't know if you agree with that, but I wanted to get your your take with it where I'm saying a solid strategy might not be enough today. We might need to uh, to add a little extra fuel to the fire, if you will. No, I agree 100%. I mean, I think what you've, <clears throat> you know, you've, it's the, it's, there's a very nice segue that goes into sort of my framing, right? You're framing it with the time issue and I am time, or I am framing it with a different issue, which is related to time, which is the, the evolution of where we are digitally, Right, twenty years later, twenty three years later, in, in in this particular case, as B two B marketers, hundred percent agree with you that the we often don't, and this is you know it's arguable that many B two B companies are just discovering marketing, much less content sure. marketing. When in the early days, call it early two thousands, B two B marketing was for most industrial companies something that was akin to just sales with a little bit of a softer tone you know there wasn't a lot of what we think of now as classic content marketing for sure but even softer elements of branding softer elements of looking at the same way that a consumer company would look at marketing and building brand and brand awareness and all the things that go on about that and that's something that's a relatively new muscle for b2b companies much less adding in the complexities of 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 content marketing and and one of the reasons that or one of the implications of that is just to your point the investments that we make in marketing are both transactional in terms of campaigns that we run in terms of the short-term projects that we try and get you know we call those day trading investments right we have a small investment into multiple things campaigns or efforts or sales sprints or whatever we're doing and then we have our long-term investments that which pays dividends over the long haul content marketing is definitely the latter where it is a value investment. It's like building a house that's going to give you a return on investment, but only after you build it. And I think that, to me, speaks to the time effort that, you're, that you really get to, which is you have to give it that time value, which is hard to do these yeah. days. We live in such a short attention span world, but that's where you get the value of balancing both a short-term campaign-driven strategy, which is usually marketing or sales-driven, and then you have a content marketing initiative, which is much more value investment or longer time horizon oriented. No, it's, it's a great point. I think that if you take both those things and you would want our recommendations on moving forward, I'm going to start. Um, and I it really starts with Content Marketing Institute research that shows that the average enterprise distributes their content 13 to 16 different ways. And every time I see that statistic, Robert, I think that somebody's made a big mistake. Uh, as, as 
tempting as it is to distribute content in all those different ways. And when we say that, we're thinking, okay, webinars and podcasts and events and research and Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn. So add them all up 13 to 16, generally for one audience. And it reminds me of the fact that you're, of course, a history historian of, of media. And if you look at media companies who have been great for a long period of time at building loyal audiences, they generally build one great thing first and then they diversify. So if you take take a B2C example, take our beloved Red Bull Media House. A lot of people won't realize that Red Bull Media House started with a print magazine that started on the Formula One track as sort of a daily show daily after the event took place. It went to um, home distribution. It took six years to get into U.S. Uh, distribution, U.S. homes. They had now two million subscribers to the Red Bulletin magazine from Red Bull Media House. And now on, they've been doing Red Bull Media House for 17 years. It's probably valued at a billion dollars. They do all sorts of things, but they started by focusing on one thing. They got really good at it. They found <clears throat> their voice. And then on, you know, then they saw success. Same thing with New York Times with a print newspaper if you look at huffington post they started with one blog to one audience now they've got like 400 look at a great b2b example godset marketing institute we started by just blogging to one audience of enterprise marketers five days a week we ended up increasing that to seven days a week but that was it it was just the blog for the most part added email added webinars diversified later and i think the issue we have with a lot of b2b marketers is and i get it but they want to diversify immediately, which is the thing you can't do because you'll end up being mediocre at a lot of things. And we want to do is be an expert at one or two things. And I think we've got a limited amount of energy, a limited amount of uh, of resources to use in a B2B organization that we can't waste it on doing being okay at research, being so-so at social media, be having a, an average podcast, having an email newsletter that gets 5% open rate and nobody opens or pays attention to. I think we've got to look and do a cursory content audit and lay all those things on the table and say, okay, what's really making an impact? Where are we wasting time? Where are things that we just started doing in the organization and we forgot about? Maybe we need to get rid of those. Where are big opportunities that we're leaving on the table because we're spread so thin and make some decisions and really focus on doing a few things really well instead of everything, which seems to be, I mean, you go into these large B2B organizations, you're seeing that. What, what do you tell them when you see them doing all the things, which we get, we get why they're doing it, but what do you tell them at the end of the day when they're doing all yeah, these things? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll tell them the same thing that, I'll tell you right now, which is stop chasing audiences. The your the advice you're giving is is so good because of the quality aspect of things, right? It's really hard to be good at a lot of different things at the same time. And it's interesting when you see great B two B case studies. You look at the great, you know, the ones that are often held up as being fantastic case studies for content marketing. Inevitably, even in B2C, by the way, as well, inevitably what you see is some form of owned media property where the rationale for building it was something. Maybe SEO, maybe thought leadership, maybe differentiating a better customer experience, maybe whatever the rationale for building it is. And what they did was very much like they brought the moths to the flame, as it were. They, they treated it like a product. 
and they promoted it and they built an audience around it. What almost inevitably never happens is when you try and chase your audience on all the platforms that they're on and try and aggregate them in all those different places. I want to aggregate them on LinkedIn. I want to aggregate them on YouTube. I want to aggregate them on Facebook. I want to aggregate them on my email newsletter. I want to aggregate them on a podcast. And so you end up with lots of little knots of, you know, or flocks, if you will, of customers or potential customers, which is nice, but it's so much, it's exponentially more work to keep that small little knot engaged than it is to actually bring them into a common experience where they're getting common value, you're getting better data, you're getting better results, and ultimately, long-term, you've built something that is more attractive that you can then diversify from, that you can then add to. I don't know how many times we've said, you know, it's way easier to build a podcast if you've got an existing audience. It's just way easier because they're already there. Now you're just giving them one other place where they can experience the awesomeness that is you. And so when I look at that diversification and when we talk with clients, we often say, look, there, in many cases, you're dealing with a large, big B2B company where the siloed nature of the organization is just going to be what it is going to be, right? So product groups are going to have their blog. The brand group is going to have their blog. Everybody's going to have sort of a resource center. And that's just the way it's going to be. So for pragmatic purposes, you have to sort of create a strategy around the idea of how to optimize these things for different parts of the journey. So the the best you can do is to take those multiple areas, those multiple platforms, and focus them. Get them really focused on one thing. So yes, you're managing multiples as a portfolio, but you're managing them all against one goal, one audience, and one value. And they're and they're different, by the way. No, I like. Th- if you can do that, you're. If you can do that, you're way ahead. And but if you can even go further than that and sort of wrangle everybody into, for example, a Dreamforce like Salesforce does, now you're a step ahead of even the competition. But I like the idea of goal focus, one goal, one platform. It, right. it just there's no need to over overly complicate this. When it's not marketing is not rocket science. I think the simpler we keep it, the better. But I want you to add on to that and take the next one because we talk about focus. We were building this owned media thing. We're trying to build a trusted, loyal audience, be the leading expert in something, especially from a B2B standpoint. We want to be the leading expert in some informational area and then talk about the opportunity to then diversify. Yeah, the opportunity to then, you know, it diversifies by differentiation, right? You know, and, and you know, you can start diversifying your idea by looking at the what that one goal and really using that to differentiate yourself against everything else everybody's talking about. That's the real key, right? You, you know, is... is <laughs> So many of your competitors, and this is especially true. I mean, we just finished a project for a B two B company that 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 is, you know, w- what we did was we we took twenty of their competitors and we mapped them on a positioning story platform basis. Looked at their blogs, looked at their resource centers, looked at how they were speaking to the industries, looking how they were speaking, you know, on their on their corporate website, and we plotted them on sort of a map, you know, of where they were you know, on where they were focusing, you know, we called it sort of a focused experience map and kind of a quadrant view, spider graph view, if you will. And what we end up with is 
everybody is in the same pocket. Like B2B companies, the biggest challenge with most is everybody says exactly the same thing, either because we've copied each other or because we've looked at, you know, or because there really isn't that much to talk about. It's a very niche topic. It's a very focused area. You know, our widgets do the same thing as our competitors' widgets, but we've been doing them for 20 years. They've been doing them for 10 years or whatever the value is of the product. They're, you know, it's a pretty commoditized business. However, as our friend Don Schultz used to say, the only thing that they can't copy is the way that you communicate about that, the story that you're telling. And so if you can focus on that one area on each part of the buyer's journey that you are different and the story is different, well, now you've done everything to not just only diversify, but diversify in a differentiated way. I love that because I I use in some of the presentations I do this idea of cloud computing. So we'll go and Google cloud computing and we'll see who comes up in Google and we'll say, oh, there's, there's Amazon, there's SAP, there's um, there's Oracle, there's IBM, Salesforce, they're all listed, right? And they all have their what is cloud computing. And we go into it and we realize, and I get it, right? They're trying to be found in search. But when you go into that content, it's all the same. I could take the content from Amazon's web services page, throw it on IBM, and nobody would know the difference. We are talking about this thing exactly yeah. the same. And what we're trying to compare, and when you're talking about, especially with thought leadership and B2B is, you have to find your real area of differentiation so you can break through all that clutter and be the thing that's noticed. And we call that, the in the Content Nick model, we call that the content tilt. Like what is that area of little to no competition where you actually have a chance to break through all that clutter? And that's where I think a lot of B2B companies don't take it. Now, media companies do this really well because they put together an editorial mission statement. And like, okay, well, who's the specific audience we're talking? Not the general audience. We want to get this audience as small as we can so we can be the leader in that. And then what are we going to send to them? And what's the audience outcome? What are we going to do? Are they going to help them live a better life or get a better job or whatever the case is? And you put together, at least in this case, a you know B2B content mission statement and it's not about what you sell ever. This is about positioning yourself as an expert and delivering value. And you say this very well all the time. You deliver value outside the product or service that you sell. So when you're thinking about this, you're a B2B company. Before you just start creating content about the thing, you really have to try to whittle down a specific audience and a specific content niche and look at that area and say, you know, if you did, if you did the work here, if you did all the things, if you did the podcast and you delivered consistently over time, in this area, if this tilt, in this differentiation, would you actually become the leading expert in this area? And that's what I want people to do. And I think, and you see it all the time. You just, they don't go the extra step. They say, oh, we're going to do a podcast on cloud computing. Okay, great. Join the other 70,000 70, that have podcasts in that area or blogs or webinar series or whatever and think about what's the spin that you're going to put on that's different that you can actually break through all the sameness out there. Yeah, well, here, here's here's an here's another way to look at it, right? Which is, so one of the things that B2B companies have, a lot of them have in common is an industry marketing effort. They separate marketing out by industry. Here's why we're good for aerospace, yep. and here's why we're good for finance, and here's why we're good for healthcare, right? So that's a common thing that we see on the corporate website. And then 
go look at your industry marketing on that corporate website and, and look at the pages and how many of them are simply just affirmations of your resume in that industry. In other words, our, you know, your, the front page is our, our, we're awesome in aerospace. And there's some quote from some aerospace VP on your, on your site. And then here's the products we offer for aerospace and how, you know, it's the same products, just with a little bit of a different description of them. And here's what our thought leadership in aerospace. And maybe you've got a link to a couple of specifically written white papers and so on and so forth. What if instead you took that website and you turned the aerospace section into a topic hub or a, you know, treat it like a publication? Like, what is your point of view? Why aerospace? Why are you so awesome at aerospace? And what is the problem that needs to be solved in aerospace? And what is your point of view on solving it? What if you turned it into truly a valuable resource for someone in the aerospace industry to get information on the aerospace industry in the particular topic that your product or service covers and transform it from being a billboard of why you're so awesome into a valuable resource for your particular aerospace customer. It's a, it's a very subtle but very important and distinct change because now you're taking a part of the buyer's journey, making it valuable for the customer, and differentiating yourself because guess what? Your competitors are not doing that. They're doing the exact same thing you are, yeah. which is puffing out their chest and saying how awesome they are in aerospace. But we, when we used to sell this back 20 years ago, we used to say, okay, you get to a cocktail reception and you're mingling around. What's the two things you don't do? Don't don't talk about yourself and don't talk about how great you are. And that's basically right. the core of most B2B content program, <laughs> programs. Right. And you, what we want to do is, hey, let's be interesting. Let's what's focus on the audience's pain points. What what's the person I'm talking? What's their need? What are they interested in? And let's talk about that. That's then right. they'll like me more. I mean, it's just it's just be human, yeah. right? It's just you know. Well, and so I mean, so well. Speaking of channels. And speaking of how you do that on the web, you know, one of the things, and this is our third sort of uh, element here, um, which, or fourth element, excuse me, which gets to the idea of, you know, I mean, and I, 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 <laughs> I know you're passionate about sure. this. So it's, it's all about the email. It's all about email. And now, is that still true? I mean, is it still true that it's just email and email newsletters? And in 2023, are we really focused in on email? Or, you know, should we be talking about Slack? Or should we be talking about some other thing? Well, um, there's the, not the only thing, Robert. But I will tell you that if you look <laughs> at uh, if you if you look at the M and A environment, I tend to look at some of the acquisitions that have happened in media. The most valuable content business out, is out there run on media on email as kind of the core. Yeah, if you look true. at political, the athletic industry dive was just sold for a bunch of money. Uh, Insider, Huffington Post, Bleacher Report. I got a whole list in front of me. Morning Brew. What do they all? The Hustle just bought by HubSpot. They all run with email as the core platform. Now, why is that critical? Because if we don't focus on something we can control, and we talked about this ton in the last episode when we were talking about Twitter and building on rented land. There's nothing wrong with building on rented land. You and I, we've we've had a subscriber hierarchy that you and I have been working on for years. I think we first talked about it in um, in Killing Marketing. And we went on and I kept working on it and figuring this thing out. But if you look at Facebook and Snapchat and TikTok and LinkedIn and Instagram and YouTube, all those things are good. We want to have followers. We want to build audiences there if it makes sense for our business. But 
We don't control it. We want to move up that hierarchy and go to things we can control like email newsletters, own membership site. That's why you and I have gotten on the bandwagon of tokenization and Web3 because there's an opportunity to own things uh, that that can't be taken away from you if you do it the right way, which we'll talk about in a future episode, I'm sure. But it's this rent-to-own strategy, and I think email is there. And I, you know, some, somebody always you know, raises their hand when I talk about this stuff, and I, and I start talking email like the old guy in the room. And they're like, what do you, <laughs> like, what about the new stuff? Why are you talking about email? And I said, did you check your email today? I'm going to use sir. Did you check your email today, sir? And they said, oh, yeah, I did. Okay. Well, did were there were there two or three emails, like email newsletters, that you, you didn't delete, that you didn't think were spam, that you really paid attention to, that you always open up and nodded his head? Absolutely. Every time. And I can talk to anybody about that, and we'll find that. The best way that we have right now, where we have some control over the data and over that relationship, is email, where you have a Twitter and a LinkedIn and a Facebook that can't take it away from us. And if you're thinking, hey, what about email platforms? Absolutely, something could go wrong, but you can port that data out and have another service provider send that for you. You can't do that necessarily on Twitter or LinkedIn or Facebook or whatever. So that's why we say focus on email when you possibly can. And to do that, well, you need what? You need a fantastic, remarkable newsletter. And you will attest more than I will that most B2B newsletters are horrific. Just terrible regurgitation of stuff on the site and in the industry and if they get five to ten percent open rate they're happy with that and that's despicable we need we cannot be satisfied with those kinds of things and that's where i'd like you know figure out what that platform is uh and that platform might be an email but if it's not and you're looking at diversification you might want to say okay well i'm going to have we're going to have a youtube strategy and then we're going to Port those people off to email with a great email newsletter offering. Same thing with the podcast. Same thing with an Instagram page or TikTok or whatever the case is. And I think still today, and I've been talking about this for almost 20 years now, I still think that's the way that you can take control over your marketing instead of giving it all up to another entity. Yeah. So it's it's worth talking about here because this comes to the practitioner side because one of the things that is especially true in B2B is... You'll get, a, you'll get a lot of heads nodding when you start talking about email because, of course, every marketing department, demand generation group, they're, you know, they're, they're called you know, MQL machines, sure. right? They're, they're generating qualified leads to sales by what are they getting? An email address. And they're doing so by making gated assets available what we have to remember is, and there's a whole discussion to have around gating, which is whether or not we should gate content assets or not. The headline there, by the way, is neither is neither in binary choices is, is right. It's a much more nuanced discussion in terms of where gating is appropriate and where gating isn't appropriate. But more importantly, is r- realizing that in a content marketing program, you've got your gating strategy, which is a may or may not be producing good, high-quality leads that you want to follow up with with a drip campaign. That is a direct marketing effort in order to get that unique identifier of that customer that you want to drip a regular funnel-based campaign to. Nothing wrong with that. There's plenty of great practices to do there. Let's put that aside for the moment. 
because what we have to realize is what you're not creating is a subscribed audience. You are creating a transaction mm-hmm. for a white paper or an ebook or a demo or whatever it is that you've promised on the other side of that gate. That is not a subscriber. A subscriber is someone who willingly asks for more content. In other words, they're asking for stuff that they haven't even gotten yet. A subscriber is somebody who reads your ebook or reads your white paper or reads your white uh, your website, then comes back and says, "I loved so much what I got from this. Please send me more. I don't even know what you're going to send mm-hmm. me, but please send me more because I want more of it, and I want it. I want it to be one of the most valuable assets." Now, the to your excellent point, you better have something good to send them, right? Whether it's a newsletter or a quarterly report or whatever you're going to send to those audiences, but that's when you're creating a subscribed audience. And the, the, the value in differentiating those two is so high because so many times what I see in B2B companies is they conflate both of those. They just have one giant database and it's one giant database of people who get spammed regularly with email email that says, hey, by the way, you signed up for this white paper, you probably would enjoy this, you probably would enjoy that. And no, I wouldn't. I signed up for that white paper because I had a need in that moment, not even thinking about buying. And you can actually argue, and I've done this with B2B companies that do this sort of gating and then immediately you know, follow up with a sales message. It's like, if I've downloaded a white paper from your site, unless that white paper is entitled 10 ways to have salespeople call me and bug me to sell me more software. That is probably the worst time to actually call a customer. If I've just downloaded a white paper, I haven't even read it yet. And if I'm getting an email from you or a sales call from you that says, hey, saw that you downloaded this white paper. Let's set up a time for us to talk about your problem. I don't even know that I have a problem yet. So it's not only improper, it's the worst time because now you're telling me that you're not interested in value to me. I'm just uh, a number, you know, in your in your, in your your spreadsheet. So that, dis- differentiating between those two yep. things is the key difference between a gating strategy of drip campaigns and a content marketing strategy of building yeah. a subscribed audience. It's funny, um, our friend Joe Chernoff, I remember talking to him years ago and he said that he he didn't have the salespeople contact anyone until they touched at least seven pieces of educational content. It could be a webinar, an ebook, open a couple newsletters, whatever, because he looked at the data and he said, for some reason, seven was his magic number where they were ready, where they engaged in enough to have a conversation. I thought that was interesting. So he told the sales team, you could not contact before that. Yeah. I, what I like doing is layering it and being clever about the way that we write our content. In other words, if I write a white paper and the title of the white paper is the visionary change coming to our industry and our point of view on that change. Well, if somebody downloads that, I, they are not a sales prospect yet. That That is, they're looking for reasons to change their business and they're looking for the visionary change. If on the other hand, I write an ebook called the top 10 steps I need to implement and the technical aspects of implementing XYZ technology, yeah. that might be yeah. because they're obviously interested in implementing something. And so now I want to 
ask them, all right, well, what are you interested in implementing? How can I, how can I help you implement? That's a good point. How to seamlessly switch your marketing automation tool. You know, that's right. whatever. That's exactly. That, that's, that's interesting to go for. No, I like that. Versus the top 10 marketing automation tools that are that's out exactly there. That's exactly right. right. That totally immediate, different. The, the downloading of those two different assets tell you exactly all you need to know about the intent of that particular download. I like that. Running for intent. Somebody should write a blog post about that. Um, um, okay. Our next one. You and I've yeah. you and I've talked about this a bit, and I'll, I will keep talking about it probably until I'm dead. But I learned this years ago when I first started at Penton in business to business publishing. When we would get together for our P and L meetings, it was expected that we would grow in two ways: we would grow our audience and grow our revenue organically, and we would grow our audience and our revenue revenue by acquisition. So we had to come into these meetings not only with ideas of how we were going to grow from the stuff we already had and internally and great ideas, but who were we looking at outside where we could possibly purchase with the cash we had on hand to add to what we were already doing. I can tell, and you know this, but I can tell you I have not been in a B2B company that has that kind of mentality. And I think we have to have that because right now is the perfect time to start thinking about acquisitions. And I'm not going to go into all the details because we have shows specifically to this, but I would say that now is the time to start thinking about a simple process for making this happen. And I would do something like, first of all, if you're in the marketing department, think about who who is the person in your organization that owns the, the purse strings for the budget. They need to understand that you're thinking this way because you have a company that probably has already been active in acquisitions, but they're acquiring a product or a service. They haven't they haven't bought a audience or a content creation machine, if you will. So you want to get into buy-in and let them know that this is a thing and you could use things like what Salesforce is doing and buying up CMO Club or HubSpot, buying the hustle or whatever you have to to say this is a thing. And then you want to make a wish list and figure out okay, for this audience you're targeting who are the bloggers, the podcasters, the newsletter writers that are in the creator economy, if you will? And they could be small media companies or independent content creators that are reaching these audiences already. You probably already know them. Uh, but what are the podcasts you're listening to? What are the you're going and searching out Google and who's on the first couple pages of Google for those results that aren't your competition? There's an opportunity there to purchase those things. And I always recommend. Don't just go out and make an offer. Obviously, you want to test first, and they might start with small partnerships. It might start with actually sponsoring a newsletter or a podcast or something so you can make sure this is the right audience, it's the right content tilt, maybe that your um, your goals align with that creator's. And then once you make that shortlist, you can go through the process of acquisition. It takes a, First of all, you've got to get this built into the culture of your marketing department. And you have to understand how these things work. And then the next year, you can really start to move. And I think what you'll see, and we're already seeing companies like I just mentioned, Salesforce and HubSpot, they are on, I mean, they probably have a super long list of possible <laughs> acquisitions that they're going for. And they do have cash on hand and they're making these deals. And if you're asking, is it easier to build something, build an audience from a content marketing perspective or buy, it's always easier to buy. You can cut out a couple of years. Are there problems? Is it perfect every time? Absolutely not. But some of these deals are five figures, folks. And sometimes the content creators just want to stay on with the program and a little bit of cash. Yeah. So there's opportunities there. Yeah, it goes right to your time question, right? I mean, it's just a function of time. It, 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 you know, what it, what 
what acquisition does is give you the time that you would spend organically growing yeah. something is cut, you know, so much down um, in terms of how much time you have to spend. Now, there's time that you'll spend getting them integrated into your business model. There's time that you'll get integrated into that business model. There are talent and all those, you know, all the typical integration issues, but we're talking weeks and months, not quarters and years. And the thing that I want to, you, you, you talk about this a lot, but it's worth saying because this is a new skill, you know, many, the biggest pushback I get on this particular idea is that's way above my pay grade. I can't, I can't even, you know, you, you don't even understand how much it would take to unwind in the CFO's brain for us to even grok something yep. like this. It's way above my pay grade. And so I get that. I totally get that. But one of the things that we have to understand is, yes, it, it is complex. That It's more complex than simply buying ad space or launching a blog or something. But it's also not a moonshot. You know, the, if you do the math, HubSpot's acquisition of the hustle was about 6% of their yearly marketing spend. So ask yourself, would you spend 6% of your marketing budget, your yearly marketing budget, would you spend 6% of it acquiring one of the leading publications in your space that would immediately give you audience, that would immediately give you staff, that would immediately give you content and resources, and would immediately give you data and measurability? I think most of the time the answer to that would be absolutely 100% yes. Would I decrease my marketing budget by 5 to 7% in order to acquire one of those? Hell yes, I would. Not even, a, not even a question. Now, finding the appropriate platform, finding the, the right people. The, I worked with one B2B organization a few years ago, and they did what was ostensibly a hire, an aqua hire, if you will. It was a blogger who had a relatively, not hugely, but relatively popular blog with a very niche audience that this company was trying to reach. So literally, they went to that person and said, we'll give you a big signing bonus, we'll, we'll hire you as our content marketer, and we'll get your blog. And voila, instant, instant acquisition. But it was positioned as a hire instead of an acquisition. Yeah, L Lots of ways to do this these days. And to your point, even to the point of saying, hey, let's not acquire the company. Let's not jump through all the legal hoops just yet. Let's actually just become the exclusive sponsor. Go out to one of these blogs or these magazines and go, what would it take to buy up all of your inventory? To, you know, every single bit of your inventory where you write, we, we participate in the editorial process, we basically, quote unquote, own your magazine, and we'll put in, you know, our own webinars, we'll put in our own content, we'll get the data, the subscriber data, etc. We'll get a co-branding deal together, very much like, and I don't know what the legal structures of this are, but Pfizer, you know, for example, partners with the... Um, uh, I think it's Pfizer. I could be getting this wrong. With arthritis to create arthritis.com, I believe. I'm, I may be getting those okay. URLs wrong, but it may be arthritis.org. But it's one of those where there's a co-branding effort, but they are separate entities. And so that's, you know, a, a, another way to approach this is sort of exclusive sponsor or benefactor, if you will. I like that. I think that's an easier way to go. And I think that might be the, yeah. the, the middle step. 
before you take it all the way and say, cause you already have those, you can make those decisions tomorrow. It's like, I'm just going to take my budget and move it over here. And uh, though the last thing I would say is the, the hustle specifically, it wasn't called sampar.com. Sampar, who is the co-founder, it, it was called the hustle. Yeah, right. It's a lot easier right. to work with these publications that are actually content brands outside of the individual. And we talked about That's this right. last episode, right? About <clears throat> Kanye. Yay. Yeah. And and if if it wasn't called, it was Kanye's business, we thought like if it was Beats, like Beats by Dre, it'd be different. Um, so those considerations should be taken into uh, consideration as well. Because yeah. if you want I, to consider and, considerations, and, of course. And by the way, the, again, with the non, you know, and speaking of our friend Joe Chernoff, you know, uh, Pendo, which is a product management software B2B company, bought mind the product the community and the, the community event. for yeah, product absolutely. managers and the event and I, I don't have any intimate knowledge of the details or the quantity but they're not a huge company they're they're a small startup company technology company and they bought that event and they bought that platform and now they have the biggest one, most wonderful community in the product marketing space or product management space and now you know that's theirs to, to claim in terms of being a leading media operation. So, and, and yeah, I believe that understanding the acquisition process is the, one of the most important things you can do as a marketer today. And I think marketers don't get that yet. And I understand why we've never really talked about yeah. it. It's very important right now, especially from our time. And it brings up, and it brings up a great, it, it brings up a great, you know, sort of last piece here, which is our, uh, the driving diverse value, right? Driving, you know, you talk about driving diverse revenue and building multiple paths here, but that acquisition can enable that as well. Yeah, I mean, I, we, we first talked about this in Killing Marketing. If you consider the revenue model associated once you build a loyal audience and you look at direct ways to drive revenue, like you have conferences and events, you have sponsorship advertising, you have premium content offers, uh, you have subscriptions, whatever the case is, those are generally what media companies have done, but any company can do that. And then on the outside, you have your traditional content marketing goals that you're trying to fill for. I'm selling, I want to create a loyal audience and sell more products or sell more services or uh, create more loyalty, which is the OG content marketing goal or better customers, whatever the case is, and higher yield for them from those customers and what they buy. But I really think that if you look, I mean, it's already within what Apple's doing, what Google's doing, what Amazon, if you look at the most innovative companies, they're already driving revenue seven, eight, nine different ways from marketing. And I think we have to start, you don't have to start do, doing it right now in B2B marketing, but you have to start thinking about it. You have to start looking at what Aero Electronics has done, where they have over 30 different content brands and every one of those content brands are at least break even or profitable. And they're driving 10 different types of revenue from each of those brands. It's very hard to wrap your arms around thinking about I can mark I can build an audience and market to them and sell the things we always say, but I'll, I can also break even with them or drive revenue or drive profit with those as well with non-competitive partners or with uh, content buys or what subscriptions or whatever the case is. And when was that? 2017 we wrote that Robert that we yeah. said mark yeah. I think the sub I think the original title for killing marketing was marketing as a profit center. That's right. Which we thought was too boring. <laughs> Which, thank God, we changed it. Thank goodness we but changed it. But basically, that. the sub, the sub uh, if there was a, yeah. uh, a secondary line there, <clears throat> it would be marketing as a profit center. And uh, and I think right. that's, that's where and, we have to go with this. And, and there's a key thing to know there as a B2B marketer when you're thinking about this, which is 
you heard us say earlier, and, and, and we'll double down on that, on one goal, right? One objective. So it's one objective of value, but multiple ways of getting there. Right. So it's in other words, when you start thinking about your platform or your media strategy or whatever you're going to create as your content marketing effort, it is all about one objective to deliver value to this audience in this particular way to drive a business goal of now I can get there in multiple ways. I can create value through revenue. I can create value through uh, through the idea of sponsorship or efficiencies in the funnel. I can drive uh, multiple values through the data, the first-party data that I'm going to glean and making my ad spend more effective. And there are multiple ways to get to that objective, and that's the key of diverse value streams to get to a single overall objective. Oh, I like that. I always talk about money. Yeah. You talk about value. That's where we're different. And it's okay. Yeah. Well, I'm. You're. You're making money. I'm. I'm working for a living as a marketer. So yeah. Well, bef- I mean, yeah. Well, be- there you go. Hey, before we get to a, uh, we we have a bonus. We have a bonus. Uh, Another thing one that we want to talk about. A bonus. There is one more that we need to talk about. A bonus. Not just six, but now oh. seven. There is a bonus. But before we get to that. First of all, we just want to say, if you're interested in all the stuff in our takes on the, all this stuff, and maybe we'll find something to put into the show notes for this because not a lot of news to certainly put, but get on over to our site, won't you? Thisoldmarketing.site. Hashtag us up with all sorts of the wonderfulness on uh, the Twitter. We love story ideas. We're going to be back to our normal programming next week. So hashtag us up with wonderful story ideas. What's Elon doing this week? What's uh, Mark Zuckerberg doing this week? What is happening in the world of acquisitions and content marketing and media? All of it would be great to get over there uh, and just check us out. You can also get, obviously, and listen to other the episodes, all 348 of them. So get on over to thisoldmarketing.site and subscribe and leave us a review, won't you? Won't you, won't you do that? Just subscribe. Leave us a review. We love those reviews. We need those reviews. You want us on that wall. You need us on that wall. And uh, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> um, all right. What is our bonus? We have a bonus. We have a bonus uh, a, a thing here to leave to leave our, our, our folks yeah. with. What is, what is so your the, bonus? The bonus, I, I think it's for context. The reason why I thought this was a good bonus one for everyone is um, – with writing, you know, Brian Piper and I are writing the next, and you've actually contributed quite nicely to the next edition of Killing or of uh, Epic. I forgot the book. Epic, yeah, I think the plagiarism is Epi- a plagiarism. Content, but yes, like something probably, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. one yeah. of the chapters yeah. is written by yeah. you, and I just asked if I yeah. could rerun something. But uh, yeah. Epic Content Marketing Second Edition comes out in March, and we interviewed Amanda Todorovich, who runs the con- amazing content uh, program at, uh, at Cleveland Clinic, and I was reading through what she was talking about and she started talking about how that whole thing started and i remember that well because when they were starting this program in 2008 2009 i was invited into some of these meetings and they were really starting to think about okay so cleveland clinic runs a great blog health essentials it's break even right now she, she's running all sorts of good uh, amazing revenue programs not only driving patients into cleveland clinics but she does consulting and sponsored content, a bunch of other things. But in 2009, it was called Cleveland Clinic Health Hub. And the idea kind of festered for two, three years. And then it launched in 2012. A gentleman named Scott Linnebarger launched this program. Took every, I mean, anybody listening to this, how 
much you have to champion to get these things done. He was able to do that. By 2013, he's out of energy. He's got no more. <laughs> he's done. And brings Amanda on board, and then Scott ends up leaving a year or two later. Amanda takes over, and then the whole thing goes gangbusters because all the hard work's been done. So my recommendation, I know you have a different take on this, Robert, but my recommendation is if you're having a lot of problems in your B2B organization, you can't get by and you've tried all the things that you can, I would go out there and find another B2B company that already has bought into it and is about three years into their strategy. Because this seems to be the spot where they've tried it, they still believe in it, the first thing hasn't worked, and they're going to try it to move in another direction or put extra uh, resources to that. And that's what Amanda did. She came in, and now Health Essentials gets, I don't know, 13 million people to their site every month. It's totally crazy. But I think it's that timing thing, back to that timing thing, is a really important uh, idea. And if you're struggling in your organization to get all that buy-in we're talking about, maybe you just leave. Is, is kind of what I'm saying. So there you go. Well, that's my wonderful yeah. career Just advice. Quit. Just that's that's leave. that's what a wonderful what a wonderful I way so. for you to end, right? Yeah. Just you know, just quit. Um, look, I. I, the way I look at it is this. I I, I agree. By the way, um, you know the the funny thing is, one of the uh, one of the interesting things that comes out of my consulting work. Somebody asked me one time. They said, "How many of the companies, and especially the B two B companies, how many of the B two B companies actually execute against the strategy and roadmap that you lay out for them in a in a, from a content marketing perspective?" And I said, "It's exceedingly few." And they were surprised by the answer. And I said, "Well, why?" And I said, because it's the the roadmap and the strategy is relatively straightforward. You know, I'd like to think I bring a little bit of uh, creativity and and thoughtfulness to bear when we create those things. But the 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 as you've heard throughout the entire episode today, what we're talking about isn't rocket science. It's not. It's relatively straightforward when it comes to the change management and the execution part of it, especially in a B two B organization that is tied in their ways. Especially those. You know, I, I can't tell you the number of times I've heard. Well, we're run by technical people. You know, we're run by engineers. And so, if it doesn't, you know, if it, it, you have to explain things in a way that an engineer or a technical person would understand, and it's like, okay, I get that. But it's the change management part of it that's hard. That's the hard part of it. They, so anybody who has executed a, success, a successful content marketing program has executed a, you know, a meaningful change management program in their business. And that's difficult and it's, and it's hard. And, and so the punchline to the exceedingly few who actually follow the advice or are successful after following the advice is that way more often is what I get the response when 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 those people can't do that are the people who call me up eight months, six months, a year later and go, you know that roadmap that you built for us at XYZ Company, I couldn't do it there, but I went to this new company and because I was the new innovation person or I was the new content marketing person and they wanted to do it, it was way easier for me to actually execute the change management and we did it. So sometimes it is actually better to leave and go find someplace where you can be the new person that can execute something new rather than sort of the older person who can't, you know, who, who can't change the, the direction of the ship. So what I would say to that also is that there is a corollary to that, which is how do you keep your team? How do you keep people 
looking at what they're doing. And if you're a senior level marketer in a business and you're looking at keeping that content marketing team, the number one thing, and this our, our research uh, proved this out this year, we did research in terms of salary, career placement, and all those kinds of things in content marketing. If you don't have a specific career ladder or a you know the sort of tiers of how somebody's going to progress through their career from junior level writer to manager to content strategist or director to a VP to even some C level position, you've got to figure that out because most content marketers love their jobs, but most, and this came right out of the research, don't find a place for themselves within the companies they're with because there's simply no career pathing that's done. So the best favor you can do for yourself on retention and building a long-term program is to build a career path for content marketers to actually exist. So that's, that's I think, a, a, a good piece of advice for, for those in B2B that are looking to create something lasting. Well, that was well said. I think you said that much better than I said mine, which is just like, get the heck <laughs> you out. Just quit. You just it's quit. Like you, you're done. I thought that went rather, rather well. I hope it was uh, good. people that enjoyed was fun. that. Little, yeah. uh, what's uh what do you what do you got this coming uh week? where am i and uh actually i think that most of mine is just sell i have to sell a ton of sponsorships for creator economy expo Ooh, you're gonna be on and, the phone. well sales, you know it's sales sales season. sprint it's sales season sales sprint. yeah and i've got some ideas so i'm sending out emails with ideas and i've got an idea I've, I'm, I'm doing trying to do some things differently this year so we'll see how that okay. goes so i'm working on a lot of that before the Thanksgiving holiday comes up. What do you got going on? Gotcha. I, I don't even know that I've told you this, but next week, uh, basically, I will be in Dayton, Ohio. Oh, my God. You're only three and a half hours away from me. Yeah. Well, I don't expect you to drive down to see me or anything. I'm only there for the night. I'm visiting an agency there. Speaking of B2B, they're called Tricome. I don't know if no, you've heard not, of them no. or not. Uh, they're an agency that focuses exclusively on B2B, and I am their keynote guy kicking off their client event where they're going to have a lot of B2B companies coming in and, uh, you know, kibitzing throughout the day about B2B marketing and content marketing and all that. And I'll be there enjoying and sharing and eating some lunch and then jumping on a plane and flying home and back to, wow, that's a long flight for one, one thing, but it's a long, it's a long couple of flights. Unfortunately, there's just no way. There's no direct to Dayton. Dayton. Yeah. No, not anymore. I mean, not that there ever was, but, yeah, flights these days are, are few and far between. Very good. Well, safe travels. Very good. All right, folks. Well, that is it. Until we see you again next week, remember, everybody, it is your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing.